Well, we come back to Matthew chapter 10 this morning to the final few verses of this section where Jesus is sending out his disciples on their inaugural mission. This is, if you remember, something that came out of a prayer in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus was praying that God would send out laborers into the harvest uh, because the harvest was ready. And Jesus no doubt prayed that and then does what he does in chapter 10, prepares his disciples to go out and to proclaim the truth. And so he's sending out in Matthew chapter 10, 12 apostles on this initial mission to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But as we've noted a number of times, although the initial mission was limited in that scope, the instructions that Jesus gives go beyond that. They reach beyond just Israelites. They reach beyond just Jews into the world of the Gentiles. Jesus speaks about the Gentiles. He speaks about their rulers. He speaks about the struggles against them. And it indicates to us that what he says here has application that goes beyond that original mission. It goes beyond even the original 12 apostles. It extends to their future missions and in fact extends to future evangelists. It extends to even you and me. So that the things that are written here, while they have direct application to these 12 apostles, they also have application to us. And we've seen a number of, uh, of principles, a number of truths that are here in Matthew chapter 10 that are all related or all designed to prepare us to be faithful witnesses, faithful evangelists, if you will, We've seen all of that in there, but if you could summarize the whole chapter, we don't have time to retrace all the weeks, but if you could summarize the dominant theme of this entire chapter, it would be simple, hostility. You have to be prepared for hostility. This is going to be the greatest impediment for you being a faithful evangelist and sharing the gospel. And... Because of that, Jesus spends much of his time preparing us for that reality. He says in verse 16, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, and so you have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, there's already going to be so much hostility, you're going to be in the midst of such a hostile environment. The last thing you want to do is to stir up any unnecessary animosity by your foolish approach or your disrespectful demeanor. So you have to be careful as you go out because of the context that you're in. Because, as he tells them, you're going to be delivered over to the courts. You're going to be drugged before the synagogues to be flogged. And even this kind of animosity is going to come from within your own family. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And father, his child, and children even will rise up against their parents to put them to death. So this is going to generate a tremendous amount of resistance and hostility and, and animosity. This is what you have to prepare for. If you're going to be a faithful evangelist, it's going to come down to uh, so much more than just simply knowing the basics of the gospel. It's going to come down to more than just memorizing an outline. It's going to come down to... Uh, more than just having some apologetic sort of answers in your hip pocket. It's going to come down to this kind of preparation, preparation for animosity. 
preparation for resistance. There's going to be this kind of of friction in your deepest and dearest relationships. It's going to fracture even your family. But Jesus is telling us if you're a true disciple, you'll be willing. You'll be willing even to do this. This is how radical your love is going to be for Him. I mean, because let's face it, home is our place of peace. Home is the place where we want the relationships to be at peace the most. Those are the people that we love the most. We don't want to be clashing unnecessarily with any of them. But because of your love for Christ, you will pay even that price, even to the point of fracturing your own home. And so the message is that there's going to be this bitterness, this rancor, this antagonism, this enmity, this bad blood from every possible corner, all over the place. And it leads Jesus to give this stark correction. Do not think, he says, do not imagine, do not let her enter your mind that I came in order to make peace. I didn't come to make peace. I actually came to bring a sword. Don't let it enter your notion or your your mind with these false uh, assumptions and false notions. The decision to follow Christ is not going to lead to a life of tranquility. It's not going to lead to a life of ease. It is going to create all kinds of sharp breaks all kinds of friction. And the fallout is going to land at the feet of some of those who are dearest to you. It's true that Jesus offers a gospel of peace, but it's not true that it leads to peace. People are going to reject it. Over and over again, they're going to reject it. It's offensive to them to hear that they are under the wrath of God. It's offensive to them to hear that they stand before the judgment of God. It's offensive to them to hear that God is at war with them. It's offensive to them to hear that they even need peace with God. And so for you to align yourself with this message, to align yourself with Christ's message, is to align yourself with the very one that is threatening to them, and that brings conflict over and over again. And over again. So don't suppose, Jesus says, that I came to bring tranquility and peace. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, he says in verse 34. To divide, to isolate, to bring you to a place of brokenness in your dearest relationships. That's the experience of so many Christians. That's the experience in so many homes. And Jesus wants to prepare you for that. He wants, he knows that if you or these 12 apostles or anyone, if you're going to go out and do anything uh, resembling faithful evangelism, if you're going to go out and be successful in what he commissions you to do, you're going to have to be ready for those kinds of sacrifices. It will bring those kinds of sacrifices. It will even call for your own life. Which is what he says in verse 38. Whoever doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There will be those, he says, 
who understanding the mandate and understanding the call of God and understanding what discipleship involves, they will choose rather to cling to what they think is their life. But Jesus is saying they're actually clinging to death. They are blindly thinking they're alive. They're blindly imagining that they found life. But in fact, they've lost it. They've missed it. There's a whole world of people literally walking around dead, dead spiritually, destined for spiritual death, destined for physical death, dead because they're shut off from the life of God. They don't know God. They don't hear his voice. They don't understand his truth. It is incomprehensible to them. They don't respond to it. They are just like a corpse. And therefore, they can't enjoy his blessing and they can't know true life. They need life from God. They need that more than they need their possessions, more than they need their money, more than they need education or entertainment or health, more than they even need relationships with their family. They need life from God more than any of that stuff. But Jesus is saying some of them will miss it because they'll latch on to whatever this world offers as life. But a true disciple comes to realize that they're willing to give up their whole life, to lose their whole life in this world in order to find the life, the true life that comes from God. Now that's the level of difficulty. That is the the sort of very nub of the sacrifice. That just cuts down to the very root. It could cost you everything. It could take away everything, even your own life, to be a faithful witness, to be a faithful disciple. Jesus gives us all that. That's the, that's the thrust of the whole chapter. Prepare for this animosity and this rejection. But before he finishes off his commission to them, before he gives them their final sort of goodbye, he ends this chapter and he ends his time with his disciples as they're going out the door with a precious reminder, a tremendous blessing that is in store for them. Not from all the rejection and not from all the heartache and all the pain, but a tremendous blessing that he wants to remind them of that comes from those and to those who do not reject. There's going to be tons of rejection and it's going to cut right to the heart of some of your dearest relationships and it's going to come at you from every corner. But there will be some, there will be some who do not reject And Jesus takes a few moments at the end of this chapter, the last few verses, to remind them of a tremendous blessing that's going to come from them and through them to this group of people. This is what he says in verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet receives a prophet's reward. 
The one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, receives a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. These are his parting words, his closing words on this mission of evangelism. And he focuses here, finally, not on all the people that reject and not on all the hostility. He focuses finally on the people who receive. And particularly, he's talking about those who receive you. The word dekomai here in the Greek is literally a word for welcome. That's the way it's translated even in the RSV or the NIV, those who welcome you. It's translated that way in Romans 14, 1, we must welcome among you the person who is weak in the faith. So what Jesus has in mind here are those who are welcoming to the messengers of God. They receive them, they greet them, they gladly accept them when everyone else around them is rejecting them. He's talking about those people who are willing to embrace you. Their friendly welcome is all the more extraordinary in light of all the rejection that's taking place. And Jesus focuses his attention on that in order to highlight two very important truths for you and I to keep in mind as the messengers of God. These, these people who welcome the workers of God, who meet the, meet the messengers of God. He wants to remind you that not everyone is rejecting and those who do receive are in store for a tremendous, tremendous blessing. First of all, in verse 40, he wants us to recognize how God is represented in those that he sends. He wants us to recognize how God's represented in those that he sends. He explains it in verse 40, that the person who receives one of these messengers as a guest is by that fact receiving Jesus. This word, by the way, when it says receive or welcome, it's not just talking about hospitality in your home. It could be everything from a word of greeting to a word of encouragement, an expression of appreciation, just simply making them feel wanted, all the way down to material support and everything you do to come alongside of them. It incorporates all of that in its full semantic range. And when you do that, when you express that, Jesus says, it's as, though, it's as though you are expressing that to me. And so you can just picture in your mind the face of whoever that person is who is standing there sharing the gospel in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, wherever it might be, and you come up and you give that person your, wor- your words, your, your warm affections and your expressions of welcome, and you are doing that to Christ. Any honor paid to the messenger of Christ is regarded as overflowing to Christ himself because they are his ambassadors. Again, Jesus is focusing not just on the message that you're receiving from them, but the fact that you receive them, which obviously implies that you are receiving their message, that you are believing their message and therefore welcoming them, expressing appreciation. And when you do that, when you do that, Jesus says, it will not be forgotten. Now, this is really an expression of profound, profound love from Jesus to his messengers. A profound love for those who are willing to stand and actually 
proclaim the truth, for those who are willing to call sinners to repentance, for those who are willing to warn people of judgment, for those who are willing to proclaim Christ as the pathway of salvation. J.C. Ryle says, the proceedings of preachers and missionaries and teachers and visitors of the poor may appear very trifling and insignificant compared to the movements of kings and parliaments, of armies and statesmen, but they're not insignificant in the eyes of God. He takes notice of who opposes his servants and of who helps them. That's what makes God's feed. That's what displays across his ticker. That's what's on his headline. It's not all those movements in the world. It is those interactions between those who are standing and proclaiming the truth and those who are standing alongside of them. By the way, there's a corollary to this that's implied, but implied here, but stated explicitly in Luke, the one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So welcoming God's messengers is credited with welcoming Jesus himself and rejecting God's messengers is to be guilty, not just of some social rudeness, it's to be guilty of rejecting God himself. Now all these things are the same things that Paul expresses in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says we are ambassadors for Christ as though God is making his appeal through us. We're ambassadors. And God is making this appeal. The word is parakaleo. He's calling. He's calling out to sinners. He's calling through us for people to repent and turn to God. Paul actually says that we implore you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God. So when we go out and we proclaim the message of Christ, it's as if God takes up our voice and through us calls sinners, begging them, begging them, imploring them to be reconciled to God. He calls people to mourn over their waywardness. He calls them to be cleansed and purified He calls them to recognize the judgment that they're under. He calls them to be reconciled to God and to trust Christ as their Lord. And when we go out and we open our lips, we sound forth this message, God so closely aligns himself with us, it's as if he is doing the begging through us, Paul says. That's what ambassadors do, by the way. They're just the mouthpiece for some other authority, some ruler in some distant country. Ambassadors, they aren't there to offer their own thoughts. They aren't there to make demands for themselves. They're not there making promises based on their own ability to keep them. They are a representative of another authority, and they speak with that authority. And they're to be given the due respect of that authority. And so to scorn an ambassador, to mistreat an ambassador, is to scorn and to mistreat the sovereign that they represent. Did you know on the uh, Secretary of State's website for the United States, there's a whole web page, a whole list of protocols 
for how to properly treat an ambassador. The kind of honorary titles that you're supposed to give them. The way you even line up at the door when you welcome them into your place of business or even your residence. There are particular ways to seat, uh, seat yourself at a table depending on whether you're dealing with matters of business or whether it's just a social occasion. There are even instructions for the way to prepare the food. All this because it is a weighty and serious thing whenever you are dealing with a dignitary such as an ambassador because they represent something significant. They represent some powerful sovereign. Paul says this is what we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we are bringing Through this ambassadorial role, we are bringing what he says is the word or the message of reconciliation. So we've been sent, and that's our message. It is the word or the message. The word is logos, uh, which can be translated word, sometimes translated message. The whole notion behind logos is basically something that is trustworthy or true. That's the basic uh, root of that word. It's often set in contrast to muthos. You have logos and you have muthos. Muthos from which we get myth. And so you have the truth and you have the myth. And Paul is saying that we are out there as opposed to all the myths that exist and circulate in the world. We have been given the truth about eternity, the truth about God, the truth about how people are reconciled to God, the truth about life, and the truth about salvation. And we're out there and we're representing that as God's ambassadors. And it's critical that the world hear this message. It's the ultimate message. It's the message that is most Urgent above every other message we could give to them. And when we do, when we proclaim this message, it's as if God Himself is in our mouth pleading, pleading with sinners to repent. This is what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 10. To receive and to welcome these messengers is to receive and welcome Jesus himself. And then he adds this. Whoever receives, whoever receives these messengers receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So not only are you receiving Jesus when you receive these messengers. You are receiving the Father. God the Father. Receiving Christ means receiving the Father, just like rejecting Christ means rejecting the Father. This is constantly, constantly articulated throughout the Gospels. Even down at the end of the next chapter, Matthew 11, verse 27, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So receiving and welcoming Christ means receiving and welcoming the Father. Loving Christ means loving the Father. And conversely, rejecting Christ means rejecting the Father. 
Now, that's an important message in a whole world today of people who want to claim to be spiritual. Because as there has been over the last couple of decades, a steady, even a precipitous decline in affiliation with any official sort of organized religion and church or denominational sort of uh, alignment among people in America. While there has been that decline, there has been at the same time a steady increase of people who would tell you that they are spiritual. They will tell you if you ask them, they do believe in God, they pray, they trust, they hope, they give thanks, But Jesus is saying, it's a package deal. If you reject me, you reject God. Can't have it any other way. John 5, 23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John 15, 23, whoever hates me hates the Father also. Hebrews 1, God who long ago at many times in many ways spoke to our fathers by the prophets in these last days has spoken to us by his son. So God has spoken, he says, in times past. He's spoken through visions. He spoke through voices from heaven. He spoke through dreams. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through others who wrote the the scripture. But in these last days, he says, he spoke through his son. Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And so to receive God is to welcome Christ. To believe in God is to believe in Christ. You cannot separate the two. And, Jesus says, to receive me is to receive those that I sent. You cannot, you cannot have a relationship with God without embracing Christ. And if you embrace Christ, Jesus is saying, you will embrace his people. There's an unbroken string here, an unbroken line. And so, as we prepare to go out and proclaim, we go and we proclaim and we recognize that most people, most people, even those dearest to us in our home, are going to reject this message. But there will be some. There always are some. Because they are Christ's people, because they understand and they know God, because they know Christ, they will welcome God's messengers. Number two, having understood all of that helps us to understand what he says in verse 41 and 42. Realize how God rewards those who receive his messengers. Realize how God rewards those who receive his messengers. Because of all these things, because of Who these messengers represent, Jesus says in verse 41, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet receives a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person receives a righteous person's reward. That 
That's because we understand their role. We understand who they represent. We eagerly welcome them. We receive them. We express joy in their work. You receive a prophet because you understand he is a prophet. He carries God's message. You welcome a righteous person because you understand he is righteous. He lives according to God's truth and according to God's word. This all goes beyond just sort of the good-natured hospitality that you might have. You're doing this. You're doing this because you recognize who they represent. And so consequently, you recognize them. Because if everything that Jesus said about these people is true, these are the people who are being constantly harassed, constantly mocked, They're maligned wherever they go. They are rejected by their own family. They are falsely accused. And then for you to turn around and welcome them, for you to align yourself with them, is to risk being maligned with them. But you do it. Because you know when they preach and speak the message of God... When they are a prophet of God, you know that they're a prophet. You know that they're righteous when they live in a way that pleases God, when they live in a way that honors Christ, when they live in a way that brings Him glory. All that brings joy to your heart, and so you receive them. You welcome them. And Jesus says, when you do that, you also receive their reward. Your words of affirmation, your words of encouragement, your honor, all that stuff is not forgotten. If they're going to suffer and you align yourself with them, you're going to suffer. And when you do that, when you do that, there will be a reward. By the way, all this just simply warns you that it's not easy to be aligned with a spokesman for God. It's not always easy to identify with the messenger, the person who's seeking to proclaim the truth. Shots will be fired, shrapnel will rain down on you when you're near them. And so there are many people who actually want to distance themselves from the righteous. They want to distance themselves from the one who is trying to proclaim the truth. All the divisions that Jesus has talked about throughout this chapter as they begin to emerge and when you try to honor Christ with your life and with your words, people around you may not necessarily join in the vitriol. They may not necessarily vent their hatred towards you, but they will certainly want to distance from you. Children will distance themselves from their parents. They'll sense that the world hates the message of their parents. They'll sense that the world hates the message of Christ. They'll not be willing to suffer those consequences and they will not welcome you. They will not receive you or your righteousness and so they will distance themselves from you. Parents will even distance themselves from children. When you reach a place of maturity and you begin to think about eternity and you begin to think about your own soul, when you begin to discover the truth of the gospel of Christ, It might rub your parents the wrong way. They might begin to say, wait, we didn't bring you up to be such a religious zealot. 
They might even accuse you of being a part of some radical group or some cult. But whatever it is, they will be embarrassed by your strong convictions and offended by your vocal witness. And although they may not permanently separate from you, they will distance themselves. Friends will do the same. You try to honor Christ. You try to keep a guard over your speech. You try to make your life pure. You prioritize God. You prioritize the church and his people and service to Christ when all your friends want to do is party and be entertained and indulge themselves and they will be embarrassed to be associated with you. And they'll pull away. But then, Jesus says, there are those who receive you. When everything else has fallen apart and when everyone else is abandoned, there will be those. They welcome you into their home, into their life, at their dinner table, in their family times. They take you up in their prayers. They give generous gifts. They ask about you. They care about you. They visit you when you're sick. They welcome you. They receive you. Because they recognize that you faithfully faithfully proclaim the good news of Christ and you faithfully walk with God. And Jesus says, they will be rewarded. They take the brunt of the scorn along with you and they receive the reward along with you. And it doesn't have to be some celebrated Christian figure. Jesus says in verse 42, whoever gives one of these little ones, not talking about children, but talking about an insignificant person, an insignificant disciple. When you give one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, one of the most, one of the most menial things that you could, you don't even have to heat the water up, just a cup of cold water. If you give it to them because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So they take it upon themselves to embrace you, to encourage you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your title is. But because you are a disciple of Christ, not one act of their kindness will ever be forgotten. This is the blessing, you see. When you are willing and courageous enough to face all of the hostility and animosity and division, the pain and the heartache that breaks apart families and homes and friendships. When you put yourself in that position, Jesus says, first of all, you'll find life. You lose your life, you'll find it. Jesus says, to you he will beseech sinners and people will be saved and he's saying to you you're going to discover some of the most wonderful intimate lasting friendships that you would ever find 
people who maybe shouldn't welcome you, people that you wouldn't even know welcomed you, are suddenly bringing you into their life in a way that you could have never known before. You lose, no doubt there will be people who reject, but you gain. People receive. You gain family. You gain loyal friends. You gain partners. You gain rewards, and they gain rewards. If you don't ever speak, if you never proclaim, if you never stand for the truth, you never experience that. You never experience that. And you rob them. You rob them of that opportunity of reward. There will be plenty who want to abandon you. You try to stand for the truth. Your wife may want to abandon you. You try to speak into the life of your children. She may, may not want to take that strong stand. You, you try to shepherd the hearts of your kids. Your husband may not want you to be so harsh. You try to speak to your parents. Your brothers and sisters may get upset with you. You want to tell others around work about Christ. All your so-called Christian friends shrink away. But when you do that, there will be some, Jesus says, who receive you, who welcome you. And they're rewarded. Those beautiful, intimate connections. They begin here and now, but they last for eternity. And you're going to spend eternity sharing in the rewards of faithfulness together with them. What a precious and precious challenge for us so many reasons for us to try to be faithful in our witness so many reasons for us to actually take the risk to suffer the loss but also to reap the rewards so that we can be ambassadors for christ so that we can experience the blessings that god has for those who truly live if you're here today and and you're hearing the message of reconciliation Maybe you've heard it before, but you're recognizing it today for the first time. You're hearing, you're understanding that you're under the wrath of God. You're under the judgment of God because you've spurned His law and you've turned away from Him. Let me be, if you will, the messenger of God today. God is pleading with you. Be reconciled. He wants to be reconciled. He wants to give you life not only here but for eternity so would you today as we close out our time in a word of prayer and a song would you confess your your sins to the Lord confess to him the judgment you're under ask him for forgiveness and profess Jesus as your Lord Father we're grateful for this time so thankful to be able to be reminded where we need to be reminded, to be challenged where we need to be challenged. We are ambassadors. We've been commissioned with a beautiful message of truth in the midst of a world of myths. May we not shrink back. May we not defraud people of the opportunity to hear and even the opportunity to join in, to receive and welcome and stand alongside of us because these are the things that you're doing through your ambassadors, Lord, and you will 
remember. We bless you and praise you for that. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.